Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 188. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And I'm pleased to be joined again, once again, by the mad professor of jiu-jitsu, Mr. Maliki Friedman. Maliki, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Like I mentioned earlier, I've got COVID at the moment, which sucks. I'm quarantined away from the family, but it uh, seems to be pretty mild so far. So I'm uh, crossing my fingers and looking forward to getting back to the real world once this stupid thing is over with. Is that your first time getting it? Yeah, it's round one for me. The whole family basically got it all in a one go. Everyone except my wife and kids, incidentally. So I'm kind of quarantined from them at the moment. But uh. My folks got it. My brother's kids got it. Um, luckily, just mild cases across the board, though. We're all, uh, we've all got our shots and it's been okay so far. But yeah, I'm just hoping I don't get some crazy, weird, long COVID thing. But yeah. other than that, it's okay so far. The weird thing about it is that everyone in my family has totally different symptoms. For me, I feel fine, but I just have crazy fatigue. Uh, whereas for my dad, he's got nausea. And my mom, she's got a really bad cough. It's just a very strange thing. Everyone's having a completely different experience with it. I had brain fog for, I don't know, I felt like it felt like six months. Yeah, geez, that that I'm not looking forward to. I mean, I, I'm like I said, I'm very tired and kind of that yeah. manifests a bit as brain fog. But hey, on the other hand, that gives me an excuse for sounding stupid for the next six months or so. So if I say anything dumb on this call, I'm blaming the COVID. Yeah, blame COVID. <laughs> well, on that note, let's talk about something more fun. Let's talk about jujitsu. Yeah. I yeah, I specifically wanted to have this chat with you because I noticed that just recently you released a very specific, very topical new instructional. Why don't you give it a quick intro? Because it's going to inform this conversation that we have here today. Sure. So I was approached by Jiu-Jitsu X for uh, instructional, and I'd already been kind of working out a half guard knee shield instructional, kind of laying the framework because there's so much, like there's so much to a knee shield game and there's so many ways that it can where it can take you and so once i i approached me about doing a an instructional they said when i got there they're like okay we need 30 moves and i'm like hey i can't teach this in under 90 so i think what he said was we we did the longest like single recording so we, we went from like i think 8 a.m that day and finished around 6 30 p.m with about a 30 minute lunch in between and so they made it into two parts. But yeah, the reason why I chose knee shield, it being one of the guards that I'm always almost underneath an opponent, which is my favorite place to be. Not necessarily saying deep half guard is my favorite place, but underneath, being underneath my opponent, single X, one, one leg X, inside X, 
in any of those kind of positions where I'm underneath my opponent, I really enjoy. And the knee shield gets me there. Me wanting to take the back knee shield, oh, any half guard variation always allows for back entries. It's not complex as much as it is like never ending. So I almost like as my opponent has one hook in, I have one hook in in an idea, even though it's from a, a different position. That makes sense. Like so, if we understand the the half guard, if somebody does a forward roll, they do basically a good truck position and take your back. Kind of like I think everything's being called Baron Bolo now, so we'll just call it Baron Bolo. <laughs> like everything's a bolo if as long as you your legs are connected together and it drags your opponent into your lap. And there's just so many things like that. That and also it's kind of gotten we've kind of like gotten far away from playing on our knees as much but at some point people need to take breaks you know so being if i'm going to play an opponent and they're going to play on their knees i'm not going to play any other guard other than knee shield guard just because of all the options that it gives me and there's just so much good stuff and i like to think about the knee shield as a as an offensive guard but also as like a like a trap you know a venus fly trap kind of idea because if I get good enough at the at the knee shield, everything that you want, like whether it's my neck, whether it's an underhook, whether it's keeping me flat, whether it's pushing my knees together, whatever you want, set something up offensively for me. And so that's something why I really, really like and wanted to share as much as I know about the knee shield with other people. Because like anywhere you try to attack me at. I have an answer and my answer is 10 times better than what you were trying to do. You know, like if you were trying to push my legs together to start passing my guard, but I was able to kick out and take your back from that, the reward from that and the risk from that, what you took would just trying to squash me. For me, it feels like the deck is stacked in a guard player's hands when it deals with knee shield. Yeah, absolutely. Knee shield is a, a wonderful guard and it's a very powerful one. And a guard that I'm only now starting to really understand is a lot more complex than I originally thought. I remember when I was, I guess a blue belt was around the time I started first seeing people play half guard this way, where they would use their top side knee as a shield to prevent right. their opponent from driving forward. And I remember thinking at the time, okay, this is clearly a very powerful defensive weapon. It's a great way to control the distance. If you're a little guy, especially, and you're having trouble with these big guys cross-facing and squishing you, the knee shield is a very powerful distance management tool from half guard. But I didn't really think much beyond that other than, hey, if I want to slow my opponent down and keep them at range, I should bring in my knee. And it wasn't until much later that I realized there's a lot more nuance to this position than I had originally understood. I mean, I always thought knee shield was just this one position, but it's come right. to my attention now that there are people who draw distinctions between the knee shield and Z guard or yeah. Z guard and 93 guard, and these are all considered different things. Whereas for me, I always thought, okay, well, it's just there's just knee shield guard, but it's it can be valuable to break things down to that level because your opponent has different options depending on what kind of shield you've got. Not all shields are exactly the same. The right. angle 
of that knee makes a tremendous difference because it very much dictates what your opponent is likely to do. And you're right that beyond just using it as a defensive tool, once you get savvy enough with the knee shield, you can start using it as a trap because your opponent's responses are going to be pretty predictable when you set up a knee shield. You take away a lot of options from them and that allows you to kind of funnel them down a path where you have a pretty good understanding of what they're likely to do. Yeah, uh, completely agree. I wish I had said all that stuff. <laughs> the So the thing about, I mean, I like Z-Guard, 93 Guard. There's different things that I like about those different guards. Uh, one thing that I made sure that I did in this series of instructional was not really change my knee shield. So I, I went with the idea that I wanted to build somebody's knee shield guard. I wanted to take, and I didn't want to make so many changes or variations. So there's so many different techniques that I have here, but I didn't want people to get confused. I wanted people to understand like my knee shield is, is up and across the near side chest. My other leg is hooking the inside calf, kind of like a twister hook on the calf. And my knee is always on the outside of my opponent's knee, the knee that's on the inside. And I'm framing usually the shoulder and the arm. And I really make sure not to get too far away from that because I know that there's beginners. I know that there's even advanced people that like one of the things that makes me, my knee shield really comfortable is that it's my home base and it feels like as soon as I know that I, I lock those two positions in with the bottom leg and top leg that I'm able to attack and defend. And I didn't want to get too crazy because a lot of people, they either spend way too much time on the subject itself of knee shield of like, this is one variation and there's so many tiny minute details that they've added now. I mean, and I'm not necessarily talking shit on, on it because that is like high end jujitsu. So let's take somebody like, have you watched any of Mikey Musumeci's, any of his stuff like knee shield he's done or foot locks or pummeling legs. Have you, have you seen any of that? Not enough of it to speak intelligently about where you're going here. So like Mikey is such an intelligent person that he breaks down the movements of jujitsu. So, so to such a small degree that you can almost get lost in what he's teaching because it's, Everything to him matters. And I love that. I love that he's mentioning, like, if you move this hip here, if you're pulling on the hip here, listen, you will watch a Mikey DVD and you will not learn a technique for the first hour and 20 minutes. You will learn all about what works and, and what doesn't work and what muscles are, are in play. For myself, I love watching that kind of stuff, but sometimes I'm not getting the answers that I want immediately, if that makes sense. So I'm not getting an immediate, like something to play with and actually take home. I'm getting something that I've never, I've never known before. And I have to now make sure that I remember this and I try to apply it to my other techniques that I already know. But I didn't want to get over zealous with the positions itself. I wanted to be able to build somebody from day one. Like they're, let's say they have six to eight months of jujitsu. They could start with just the basic frames and hooks and move themselves slowly across understanding 
the defensive side of what this opponent's going to want to do to you, right? Whether they're going to want to smash you or go around you or cut over the top of your belly, or there's a couple different ways to pass this card. So I wanted them to have all the defenses, right? And that turn into offensive traps. And then once we had that, I wanted to start getting into like the most basic stuff. So I want a viewer to be able to watch see that there's an underhook and have showing maybe three or four different underhook attacks, but they can, they don't have to know all four of those. Like if they miss one of those four attacks or they can't remember, or they, they didn't add it to their game, it doesn't slow their game down. It's an option. I give a lot of options. I make sure that I address everything and I make sure that I give so many different details that even myself, I don't think of four moves all at the same time, you know, like, I think of maybe two. I'm thinking between two as things are moving and happening, but you don't have to have five underhook techniques, but I give you five underhook techniques because let's say, yeah, the limp arm is something you should know anyways, but then a body locked walk around to take in the back or excuse me, to taking side control or just an underhook to, to deep half as a transition. So I made sure that you don't have to know every one of my techniques. You can kind of pick and choose and develop your game off of it. If you want to have 90 techniques from that you know up and down from knee shield, this, <laughs> I can do that for you, but it's just not necessary to build the game that you need right now and in the future. So in the future, as you add things and as you, as you play, you realize you hit roadblocks. You're going to want, of course, more options because more options mean less, less roadblocks. You're easier to, to deal with these certain things. So I, I really made sure that, that this was a beginner friendly, but an advanced instructional. Yeah. I love that idea of having kind of a solid foundation that's everyone's going to learn and benefit from and then having a bunch of specific what ifs and individual techniques that you can hang off of that to your heart's content as you see fit. Right. I agree with you that a problem that a lot of people have is they feel like volume is the answer and more is always better. And so they'll give you a whole bunch of stuff, but without any real clear framework of how to fit it all together. Right. And especially when you're dealing with beginners, I think it's so important that you start them off with, okay, here's the, the critical stuff that you really need to know. This is the foundation. And everything else is kind of optional and built on right. top of that. Yeah, it's fun. You know, that, that's what makes you just do fun is having all those options. But the funniest thing was I, I taught a – one of my instructors was out, so I taught the fundamentals class. And I didn't realize how big of a deal it was for me to teach the Kimura sweep and then teaching the Kimura sweep. And when the – like, not necessarily when the opponent's pushing you down, but – at a point where when you're going for the Kimura sweep, it isolates the arm so that you can drop back down and reattack the Kimura. And like we have these like little fill outs, like where these forms where you can fill things out and like, how was your class yesterday? And he mentioned like, he's like, I've been getting stuck. This is so great that I have something that I'm able to fall back on. And I'm thinking, man, how basic that technique is. But yeah, like when you don't know it, that's not very basic. That's a, that opened up a whole nother way of, of something of Kimura that you, that you're not necessarily hitting very often because you're, you only know one way of looking for it or separating it and that little hip bump Kimura and then dropping back down at an angle to finish the Kimura is something that is like 
invaluable because now they have an attack from there. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think that that's, you know, it's funny, even at Black Belt, I still find myself learning and picking up little details and fundamentals that I'm kind of shocked I never knew. You know, and that's one of the things about the basics is sometimes people take the basics for granted. They think that because they're the basics, everyone knows everything about them and they just get neglected to be taught in detail. But yeah, even with very basic fundamental techniques like the arm bar, I mean, a black belt, I still figure out things where I think, man, I wish it had occurred to me to do this, you know, 10 years ago. It would have made my life right. so much easier because it seems like such a fundamental detail, but sometimes you get so focused on the nitty gritty that you take those fundamental details for granted. And as the instructor, it probably bears repeating that you can never really teach the fundamentals too much because there's always going to be people who benefit from that. Yeah. Something that came really into my, my notebook, you know, I have, and I'm always trying to like kind of push the limits with my own students and, you know, like trying to figure out for kids really, really opens my eyes for adults because I have to break things down, not necessarily like, so we're talking about, I have some very, very, very good kids that are four, five, six, and seven years old. So like that, that very young age group and they know what they're doing. They're, they're grappling at a high level for their age, but I can't get too like I can't get too advanced and I can't add too much to it. So what I try to do is I try to make like an overview of everything because I want my kids to win. I want them to get better. I want them to continually grow in jiu-jitsu, but we also have a tournament next week. So you're racing with those kind of timesheet. And then I say, okay, well, and it's just so silly. Like, so we teach, I taught my kids knee slide, double unders, you know, like, but then you know, like some kids are starting to lapse into some of those techniques. And I found that just like, uh, it's not even really a technique. You put your, uh, say, let's say you put your right hand on the same side hip and you put your other hand on the same side knee, you push down as usually going to break the guard of a child, right? Mm -hmm. And then you straighten your legs away from the guard and you walk around the guard and kind of like a Toriando, but with just walking yourself around. And that works like gangbusters. It just works. And so it's like, well, what was the theme there? It's like, well, we got to get the guard open and we got to isolate something. So I don't tell all the kids this because there's no way that they would understand what we're talking about because I'm, I'm pushing down the hip, isolating hip movement. And then I'm pushing down the knee, which is stopping that, that knee from being able to either move up or move back. So I'm kind of freezing their guard by extending their hips open, you know? But by wedging their hips to where that they can't move their body and going around into a half guard. So basically they're hitting a Toriando pass. But in order to have a decent amount of kids and kids in the class, I have to make it such a overview of it. Well, I can kind of explain to you, I think, how we talk about this on the podcast, because this is something that comes up quite a bit, this idea that Look, in an ideal world, you could just carbon copy your brain into other people and teach them everything all at once. But in reality, people are at different stages in their journey. And sometimes it's not the right time to teach them the advanced stuff. You have to give people some basic building blocks, even if they're incomplete or sometimes even not entirely correct, but just enough to get them going and get them started so that they have something to build off of. And then you can kind of revise that later. So this is a, a bit of 
thinking I've been doing about how I teach as I get older, which is to understand that, look, I can't expect white belts to be doing black belt perfect level technique. They are going to be taking shortcuts and making mistakes, but my goal is not necessarily to get them perfect on their first try. My goal is to get them on the journey so that they understand the foundation, and then they can kind of fill in the pieces on their own as they go. It's just a, you know, having more reasonable expectations of people, right. and it's especially important, like you said, when you're teaching kids. I mean, and kids is the weirdest thing to watch too. You can have a kid that, that can dominate other kids, right? Just like sweep, take down, arm bar, but then some other kid will just stand up in their guard and walk over their legs and sit into mount. And you're just like, oh crap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like it's just, you know what I mean? And, and like the dead bug, you know, the dead bug idea. Where you got your your knees and your elbows are part of you, where they can't sit on your stomach, so you have good frames. And it's like how silly that technique is, but like you have a kid that that's on a very high level of, of jujitsu, but there's a missing piece of concept there where a, another person can just walk over them to mount them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't really run into that with adults because if an adult is able to arm bar and sweep and do all these other things usually nobody's standing above them and just walking over their their feet to sit on their chest so it's very interesting sometimes when you're re when you're trying to go about making a kid's curriculum or you're going about making a kid's lesson is that you're like i'm gonna have to teach something that's not necessarily a technique at all i'm just gonna have to deal with teach something that's that hopefully they understand as an overall concept like I can't have somebody just walk over our guard. So like, yeah, we're going to put our feet into the, into the crotch and I'm going to lift them up over me. So they don't get to step, sit on my, on my chest. They have to keep walking a little bit over me. And then I'm going to use that little push to spin and face them. And hopefully I'm facing their back, you know, and then I could pull them into the back control. So like we've been working stuff like that. And it's funny how I wouldn't have come up with that as something to teach kids until I saw another kid's guard and mounted them when the other kid is much better, much more technical. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what do I got to create so that that doesn't happen at the kid's Pan Ams, you know? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think we were talking about this earlier. What you're describing here sounds like some of the coaching and teaching from uh, Doug Lamov. Yeah. He talks about the language of coaching and he talks about how, look, you don't just want to tell people exactly what to do, step one, two, three, but you need to describe things in a way that the body intuitively sort of understands and can figure out. And sometimes, like you said, the best lessons that you can teach people are not necessarily jujitsu specific, where you're telling right. them how to move an arm, but it can be an alley. Allegory. Like you said, you know, you brought up the dead bug thing. Going back to the early episodes of BJJ Mental Models, right back to the first one or two or three, you can hear me teaching people this specific thing where I would talk about how, look, if you want to protect yourself, you can start to think of your limbs like a dead spider where everything is just curled in. And if right. that's your default and you make it really hard for people to pull or extend an arm or a leg, right. Even if you don't know anything about jujitsu, just out of the gate, if you do that, you can have pretty shockingly good defense just because you have good body mechanics. Exactly. Yes. Very correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is probably a good segue then because I know you put a lot of thought into like, what are these fundamental ideas? What are these base concepts that we teach people um, specifically in the topic of the knee shield? I would love to know then if you are taking someone who is, you know, a, an unsculpted ball right. of clay, they don't know anything about jujitsu and you want to teach them the knee shield, 
How do you start that off? Like, what are the building blocks you give people so that they can have a productive knee shield almost from the get-go? So immediately, the frame of the knee is super important. So we need to know that just starting, okay, we got to start with half guard. Number one, your bottom leg's job is to keep the guard, right? That's the job of the bottom leg is to keep that that leg inside the guard so it doesn't end up into a passing sequence or a knee slide sequence or a torianda. So you have to make sure that you have control of the bottom leg. And usually if the people are able to do it, I prefer kind of like a twister hook on the calf and it touching the floor so that it's locking that leg to the ground, that knee to the ground. Then we're talking about a knee shield. So we're talking about being able to carry somebody else's weight, right, with a frame. And one of our strongest frames is always going to be from our hip to our knee, to the to the knee. And if we frame that correctly, we should be able to take a massive amount of weight on top of us. The next thing is that we're always, what are we doing with our hands? Well, the next thing, the, we have to make sure that, that our hands are doing the job of of keeping that opponent's lead arm, the open, the arm that's inside the guard, right? We have to make sure that that arm can't grab our neck, right? So can't grab our collar, can't grab our neck, because that's how we're going to become flattened. And also, we want to make sure that our bottom knee is never able to be covered by our opponent's knee, so that our opponent's knee that is a little bit farther back from us, if they cover our knee, they're going to be able to start killing our angle. So our angle is everything. So when we're in the knee shield, we have our frames, we have our, our hands that are frames that are on the shoulder and on the arm that can transfer from grips to make to other stuff. They can always move around as long as you're using placeholders. Then we have to make sure that our knee, our knee frame is strong enough to, to deal with somebody pushing into us. And then we have to start opening up what our guard is going to do. So how am I better than this person in this position? Well, it's because I have an angle. Right with the angle, my underhook to the back is there. If my opponent's stupid enough to take the outside arm and cross over, he's just going to give me the back. Right, so he has to play knowing that if I have the angle, I have the frame with my knee and my arms, and that my opponent has to respect what I'm doing there. Because if they don't respect what I'm doing, I'm easily able to come around towards their back. I'm easily able to roll them over top of me because if they put too much weight over top of me, then basically I'm just a giant Swiss ball and they have to respect that I can easily get underneath my opponent. So there are these frameworks where you're setting yourself up if you know zero that that person has to be on their P's and Q's right away because yeah, they may want to pass, they may want to knee slide, but anytime that they break one of the rules, which is, I would say, trying to pass my knee shield at, when I'm at an angle is not going to happen. Them trying to pass my knee shield by trying to get to my neck, which is going to allow me to attack, or them trying to smash my leg inside like to where my two knees are touching each other, I'm going to have, I have a lot of different things. I have omoplata, I have triangles, I have I can just kick back out and regard pretty easily because there's no way that that person is going to be able to solidify, like, to mash my two legs together because he's not, the only thing that's being controlled, right, truly is my bottom leg because my opponent's sitting on it. If he's sitting on my bottom leg and he puts my top leg to meet my bottom leg, I only have to kick my top leg forward. Once I do that, my leg is now no longer smashed together 
and I can kind of almost pummel it back in. Yeah. So you've identified something here that I think is is a tremendously important insight, and it actually applies to a lot of different positions. And what that is, is that, look, we call this the knee shield guard, but actually the knee shield itself is not really the most important part of that guard. It's the right. other stuff that matters. And a mistake that many people can have is they think that the guard is actually all about the knee shield. So they pay attention to that to the exclusion of everything else. You know, you brought up some great points here. Yes, the knee shield is important. That's ultimately right. the frame that prevents your opponent from driving forward. But if you're not minding the other control points, look, the easiest way to defeat the knee shield, if you can, if you're stuck in someone's knee shield, the easiest way to defeat it is to get out, back up, and change the angle. If I can do that, it doesn't matter how strong your knee shield is. I can just literally, like you said, walk around it. Right. So the knee shield itself is actually not the most important part. It's the bottom leg that is hooking the person's leg into the floor so they can't move, like you said, probably right. with a twister hook. It is the positioning of your hands so that your opponent cannot cross-face you or otherwise pin you to the ground. The knee shield is important because that frame prevents your opponent from coming forward. But if you cannot bolt your opponent onto the ground, if you cannot right. prevent them from switching the angle, your knee shield is irrelevant. So that's kind of a mistake that a lot of people make is they think the knee shield is the only thing that matters. But you could argue that that's actually the least important principle here. The other stuff is what holds the person in place to make the knee shield effective. Yeah, and I think that's why, and I can't really think of too many, too many things that, or attacks that involve my knee shield staying in that same place. So my knee shield can't stay across the chest or hip when I'm attacking or defending because there is no attacking or defending when there's that frame between us, right? I can't reach him and he can't reach me. So either it's me removing my knee shield, maybe I kick my leg out and sit up for the underhook, or it's them removing my knee shield, which let's say is somebody sitting and turning and to lay over my belly. You know how they cut over the stomach, right? Like how the knee shield's there. And rather than dealing with the head because the frames are so good on the, on the shoulder that they can't get to my head, but they can try to cut across and lay across my stomach while still being in my guard. But that's how they're going to try to get, remove their leg. I didn't understand that. You heard that? Yeah, I did. that was Alexa. <laughs> so, what do you th what do you think you said that set her off there? What was the, uh, I don't the know. magic buzzword? Uh, I, I couldn't even tell you. Dude, she comes out and she just she's a savage. She's <laughs> she's savage, man. She does she comes out and does does weird stuff all the time. It is a little bit creepy when you think of the fact that you know she's sitting there basically monitoring everything we say. Yeah, she's just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, one of my favorite commercials is the commercial it's not a commercial it's a, it's a parody of a commercial it's Saturday Night Live and it's for old people and they have an Alexa for old people and it's just if anybody has a chance look it up it's like what are those kids doing across the street they're like they're just playing she's like uh uh I don't think so then <laughs> <laughs> you can call her any name she'll answer to any name it's like Arabia it's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, whatever, whatever name you call out, it's going to answer because you, because the older senior citizens can't remember Alexa. <laughs> uh, it's such a good, it's such a good skit. Yep. I wonder what happens if you ask Alexa how to pass the knee shield guard. 
Alexa, how do I pass Nishield Guard? Oh, she's talking about throwing grenades. Did she, I, I was going to say, did she tell you to throw a grenade? I'm not that's aware of it. any rule set where that's legal. <laughs> she, listen, that's the best way I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, fair play, fair play. I don't care how good a black belt you are. Yeah. If I'm in your knee shield and I pull out a grenade, I guarantee you that that yeah. knee shield is done. <laughs> yeah, we're all, we're, we're all done doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> So, man, that's a new level of self-defense there that I hadn't even thought of. But anyway, yeah. so that aside, one question I would ask you, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but what kind of thought do you put into in terms of the angle of your knee shield? Like I said earlier, there's different ways you can do this. Some people like to have the leg more upright. Some right. people will flatten it. But I'd love to know just at a high level, what do you advise in terms of what the angle should look like of that top knee shield that's matching your opponent? So... I like my foot to be either be pushing off on the hip or 90% of the time I'm going to be have that foot pushing off my hip. I'm just going to be aware of toe holds and steam locks. I mean, once you get kind of comfortable with 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 foot locks in a gi game, so I'm, I'm talking gi, right? With, you know, because there's heel hooks and everything else. If you're getting comfortable with your knee shield, you should try to start with as least as many things as they're going to immediately stop you from playing that guard. And I think that's what a lot of people should understand also is that like, Hey, heel hooks are great to learn and everything like that, but they can really stop the progression of you learning a, a particular position because you're always getting heel hooked. If you try that, right? Like the guy just drops for a heel hook every time and then you don't really get a chance to play your knee shield. So hopefully you're doing this in a, environment where you're able to start to grow your game so that you're not constantly defending a heel hook or a steam lock every toe hold every time but i like my knee to go straight onto the so the near side breast like right across the breast of the of my opponent that's sitting right next to me so the the same side the opposite side of my my free arm that's on the ground Interesting. So you're basically cutting. I'm just trying to think of a way to explain it. So your knee basically is not on the the same side peck. It's on the cross side. So sort of like how if you were doing a cross collar grip, you grab across the person's no, neck. No, no, no. Okay. So no, it would be on the same side peck. Okay. Okay. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be on the same side peck. I'm just barely cutting off the shoulder in the peck. Yeah. So I'm not, but because I, I don't like my knee shield to be low. Yeah, I used to play it actually very, very low, kind of that Z guard type position. I don't like it that low because I know what I'm going to have to do immediately, which is I'm going to have to immediately defend the smash pass or the so or the punch through pass. But I'm I'm right at that angle, and one of the biggest things that I'm doing is that my opponent's free leg, right? My opponent's free leg. I'm making sure that my leg that's on the bottom is outside of their free leg. So their knee can be on the ground, but my knee has to be in front of or above that knee. Yeah, I presume that if you fail to do that and they're able to basically smash that bottom leg at that point, you're basically giving them like the knee cut or something else. So I think more of what I'm worried about is that if my bottom leg is not out in front of their knee, then all they have to do is step that leg over, like step the leg over and turn towards me. 
So if they're turning, they turn their hips to face my hips, they've now essentially killed my angle and can just push me flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually, I see what you're saying. Um, that is one of my favorite things to do when I get stuck in the knee shield is you just kind of turn your body to the side and then you just sit down on the person's legs and then they're stuck. Right. So that's why your frames are going to be constantly monitoring not only the upper body, but your elbow is usually, so you can usually, when you're in that guard, you can touch your elbow to your, your bottom knee very easily. So if the person is trying to bring that knee up, your elbow will connect to your bottom knee and will frame out that, that knee. And so all you really have to do is push the, like, you know, if they start to move that leg up, you just push it and they kind of have to redo it over and over and over again. So you're kind of monitoring the, the top half of their arm that would be grabbing your neck, but you also are monitoring that bottom knee from ever moving forward. Cause if you, if your knee is behind my knee and you turn towards me, it's impossible to kill my ankle there. Right. You have to be past my hip in a way to kill my angle. Yeah. I also really like that detail you brought up about how your bottom knee and bottom elbow need to be kind of tight together. That's one of the most important ways to prevent the guard pass if you're playing that right. position, because if there's space between your bottom knee and your bottom elbow, if your opponent is able to wedge their knee through, then now they've taken side control on you. Whereas right. if you can keep that elbow knee connection, it's like you said earlier, you're kind of like, um, you know, you're kind of like a beach ball and it's very hard for right. them to secure a pass because if they manage to shoot by you, if you've got that elbow knee connection on the bottom, you can just roll up into a dog fight. Sometimes right. you can even come up to their back. So suddenly passing is no longer easy calculus for the person on top. Yeah, there's, there's, it's much, they're going to have to go at a different angle. So they're going to have to start dropping down. They're going to have to try, try to underhook my knee shield. They're going to have to start doing some real work that's going to put pressure on them. And so the best thing about the knee shield is that when they have to start looking for other ways to do things, that's where the traps and that's where the submissions are. In sweeps. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I used to hate the knee shield because it felt like a stalling guard. It felt like, okay, you're in there and now right. the person on bottom is just defending and you're stuck there and you can't do anything. But then as I started to get more experienced and ultimately more strategic, I realized no, this can actually be a good thing because it means I'm taking away my opponent's options. I'm putting up barriers that funnels them into very specific directions now that I can anticipate. Because like you said, if if you can trap your opponent behind a knee shield and they cannot easily pass your guard, their options are now somewhat limited. I mean, instead right. of worrying about the potentially infinite things that a person inside your guard can do, if you put up a good knee shield, you know, okay, they're going to do one of a handful of things. They're either going to back up and try to pass and change the angle, or they're going to try to smash me, or they're going to try to sit down on that bottom leg. There's just not that many things they can do anymore. And when I'm being attacked by someone in jujitsu, I always want to make sure I can minimize the number of things that they could conceivably do, because if I can more easily predict what they're going to do, it's just easier to get ahead of the curve and go on the offense, right? Right. And I really think that for a beginner, it's so good to have, so like, I would say, like, have a good closed guard, of course, but the next thing should be the knee shield half guard, because once you get adept at stopping people and you're starting to get sweeps and attacks, the knee shield half guard, I think, is the guard that is most likely is going to transform into other guards. So you can go to deep half guard, and from deep half guard, you can go to X guard, right? From 
niche shield, you can go to a lasso and start opening up your lasso game there. If your opponent decides to try to stand up, well, now you're going to start working reverse Delaheva. So you have a guard, as long as you have a really good base in that guard, you can start to venture out into these other guards. And if nothing's going on there or nothing's good there, you can bail back out to that knee shield. You know, it's, it's one of those things that if I'm on the mat and I'm training and I'm going against somebody that I don't know, right? Like I, I don't know how good they're going to be. I usually start off in that knee shield to gauge what I'm going to do with them, right? Whether yeah. or not, like, if they're going to be very aggressive passers, if they're going to be standing passers, if they're going to be, I can usually read their jiu-jitsu within the first 25 to 30 seconds in my knee shield. Yeah, yeah. If I can move you with my bottom leg, like, by just scooting forward and, like, kind of, like, tilting you, I know that I'm going to sweep you. At some point, you don't understand what's going on here. I do. Or I can start to look for, I, I notice whether or not, if somebody isn't isn't playing against my knee shield to fit offensively, so let's say they're offensive because I'm in a guard, right? So guard is generally a defensive term. If I'm in a guard, right, and their offense is stagnated and they can't move forward and they can't attack, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to sweep past submit, sweep submit that person in that position but also that the other things that they're going to throw at me are probably not going to be at the level either. So I can start to move into those other guards and feel more comfortable because I don't just go out and like on a black belt, just go deep half to X guard. You know what I mean? Like knee shield, deep half X guard. I don't, I don't go that. I'm not going to move that fast with that opponent, not knowing what their ability is you know yeah yeah it's a good gauge position the knee shield because you kind of set up a defensive structure and then you can kind of see what your opponent does but you did bring up something earlier which is important which is you do have to be mindful of your feet i, I actually had someone do this to me just a few weeks ago where i, I went to knee shield and they esteem locked me and i got so pissed off that's like my least favorite thing to happen yeah. if someone pulls that off on me but if you get sloppy there it, it, which is what i did it can happen and that is a good reason why like you said when you're trying to figure out the angle of the knee shield, your knee should be sort of trying to touch the person's same side pectoral. That just right. creates a good shield angle where it's hard for them to squish you, right? You don't want your knee to be too far down because then right. they'll smash you. And also if your knee is too far down, that's when your foot gets exposed and they can attack it. But you also don't want your knee to be too far up because then it's not actually shielding you and they can right. just go right through your guard. So. There's kind of a magic angle, and my favorite way to play the knee shield is where my knee, like you said, is just aligned directly with their same side pectoral muscle. I want to try to have it touching there so that they can't grab my heel, they can't just pass my guard easily, they can't stack me. It's just at an angle where it's a very strong, solid frame, and it's right. very hard for my opponent to bypass or break that frame. Yeah, I mean, it, the funniest thing is, Watching somebody, like, so once you feel really comfortable in this knee shield position, is watching somebody's approach, because I show, let's say I showed 90 moves, and let's say off of, like, the top of my brain, in a roll, I'm only hitting, like, I'm only going over 12 to 18 different techniques in that position, if they're going to play me there, right? So if they're going to play me in that position, I'm not really, sometimes I'm, I'm in auto drive, so I'm not really thinking, but on some of the techniques that I teach... But it's really interesting to see their choices to, to be made that they're going to make. 
And so if you get good at those kind of guards, and I feel like that's like almost any guard, really, but to see how they're going to attack a guard is kind of interesting when, you, when you're comfortable in that guard and you, you're pretty confident that you're going to stop or at least hold them off. If you're not going to beat them there, you're going to hold them off and you can kind of like watch what your opponent's choices are because they have to do a number of things before they start to pass it. And so, you know, and that's the same thing for like spider guard as well. Whereas like, you know, if you have a lasso, it's kind of interesting to see if they're going to attack the lasso, if they're going to attack the, or if they're going to attack the smash or if they're going to try to get their arm free, you know, it's like you can kind of start judging what a person is or what kind of, or what they do by that lasso. Are they going to try to free the arm? Are they going to try to put my, you know, like fill the space? Are they going to try to smash my knee to my stomach and, and flatten the lasso? So it's really interesting to see, or are they going to clear the other, the bicep from spider first? So it's kind of the same thing with, with are they going to try to remove the frame? Are they going to try to beat the angle? Are they going to try to move backwards or stand up? What options are they, what are they going to choose first? And you kind of play through that, that game. And that's where, you know, like Nisha, I think really thrives is that if they stand up, you are easily able to play underneath them, underneath them or to the side of them, whichever you decide. But it's not as true in other guards where you're immediately have an opportunity or availability to get underneath somebody. Yeah, you bring up some great points here about how the knee shield, it chains so well together into other guards and other techniques. And not every guard is like that. This is actually something that uh, Lachlan Giles talked about on the podcast recently and how when you're learning your techniques and putting your game plan together you need to be cognizant of how all of these techniques you like are going to chain and sequence together because not every technique is going to chain together well. Right. An example is, you know, deep half guard. Yes, it has a place, but if you get stuck there, it's really hard to do anything from there, right? If your plan yeah. A doesn't work. Yeah. Whereas knee shield, I mean, there is a caveat, which is right. you have to get comfortable being able to drop the knee shield because if you keep the knee shield up, it's very right. hard to move into something else. You mentioned that right. earlier. But if the energy from your opponent is right and you can get the right timing, knee shield can chain into almost anything. I mean, I use yes. knee shield to chain into dog fighting, underhooks, single legs. I use it to, right. to butterfly. I use knee shield to chain into my favorite thing to do from the bottom, which is just stand up, right? Knee shield. Yeah. Frame on the neck and come out. Exactly. It's such a powerful thing because it chains into almost every other guard, right? right? I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions, but it's just so good for leading into other guards. Yeah. So it becomes a very good uh, waypoint position where if your opponent is aggressively trying to pass your guard and you just need to make space and slow them down, if you go to knee shield, now you've created a situation where you have a lot of options you can chain from, from that position. So it's a good, uh, a good waypoint position to get into. If you feel like you're being overwhelmed uh, and your right. opponent is just being super aggressive and offensive on the attack. Yeah, it, it is. And that's why I think it should be your, your second guard you learn because let's say you don't, you don't have a butterfly. Let's say you don't have a spider or a lasso guard. And let's say you don't have really anything else. You just have those two guards. Well, you're going to be able to go back to closed from knee shield. And you're also going to be able to start to get comfortable in that realm of attacks and counters to where you're going to have time to wade in the in the waters of new guards. 
So if you've been really wanting to play X Guard or Single Leg X, it's there. It's there as well. You know, it's like just one pummel inside. And I usually hit my Single Leg X, so it's I kind of do it in a funky way. I'm not, I'm not sure if I have it in this instructional. I wanted to make sure that it, nothing went so out of control. So I made sure that, like, I have uh, transitions to the octopus guard. Shout out to Eduardo Tellez. I have movements from my knee shield into, into single leg X. So how I do that is like, so you know, the knee, the, the leg that's, so I'm, I have the, the half single leg X, or excuse me, the deep half. I take the leg with the knee that's on the ground. So the, not the, not the leg that's straight. I grab my arms over the hip, right? And I pull that over my chest and I throw my right, my bottom leg that was hooked to the, that was playing on bottom of half. And I throw that over the shoulder and that sets me up right into a single leg X on the opposite side. And it's fairly easy to do, which is kind of weird. And because I, I stopped going for single leg X just from straight half because I would, it would, things would get kind of tight. You remember Marcelo's whole entries into those, like with the butterfly hook. So basically, Marcelo would just put a butterfly hook, grab the knee, kick the leg straight, and pull at the knees and throw the single leg exit at the, at the hip. So that's kind of the process that I, I used to use for my for my knee shield to single AX. Now I use, I go to the far hip and I pull that far hip over me and I just use the leg that's already in the middle to go over the the hip on the opposite side. Got it, got it. It's hard to talk jujitsu when you're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it expands so well. It, it really gives, so you should get good at it. Like if you get good at the knee shield, you're going to have a like a home base and that home base is going to allow you to explore. And so, like, I always tell people that, that are starting to do that to make sure that when they're exploring, to have a weight back, you know, be kind of be smarter than Hansel and Gretel. I think, I'm not sure if they were smart or not smart, but <laughs> didn't they, they left cookies and the birds ate them or whatever. They left some something and the birds ate, so they didn't know their way back. Yeah. But be the reverse Hansel and Gretel and do something not stupid. <laughs> And make sure that, like, okay, I'm going to explore. I feel comfortable in my knee shield. I'm going to explore single leg X. Or I'm going to explore going into X guard from knee shield. And so you realize, okay, I'm going to touch this base a little bit. But you realize the exit back out. That's one of the things that, that throughout my jiu-jitsu that when I was exploring different techniques that I always made sure I knew how to get into it and also how to leave it. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want to get to a position where, like, I'm in single leg X and like this guy's better than me in this position. I can feel it and I don't know how to go back to something that I can beat him at. So I want to be able to retreat if I need to. And so kind of being able to say like, well, I'm going to go into single leg X and I'm going to learn how to get to X guard and I'm going to learn two sweeps from X guard, right? One, two. So like the, the basic trip and the basic technical stand up, right? The trip where you knock backwards and the technical stand up where I extend my opponent out. And I come up to my my knees or my feet. And then I go, well, if those two aren't working and you're feeling like there's pressure, you should be able to go backward, find a way back out. So whether that means exiting your X guard into a single leg X and slowly getting your partner back in, whether that means exiting into a seated guard, you know, like always have a way 
out where you're just not playing X guard and that's all you can play. You know, be able to extend your opponent, be able to place them back into another another guard that you feel confident in. And so it's like before you learn, and I think that's a problem with a lot of people's jiu-jitsu in the beginning is that they, they learn X guard independent of other guards. So, or they learn spider guard independent of other guards. So if you're going to learn spider guard, you should learn, okay, Delhiva, person kills your Delhiva. All right. Reverse Delhiva. The person, the person is putting pressure on your reverse Delhiva. He's getting rid of that leg over the, that's pushing on the, on the hip. Okay. Now is your time to look for the lasso. Okay. Now we're in the lasso and you start learning how to play the lasso guard. Okay. But once the lasso is not working for you, at some point you have to be able to understand that, hey, I'm either going to stop, regard into a single leg X or regard into an inside X, or I'm going to push the opponent's leg back out and return back to turn that lasso into a Delahiva hook. It's like they don't concentrate so much on the, that transition between the two guards that when they are playing spider, because they're new at it, they're getting their guard passed because they can't exit out of it when they've run out of options. Yeah, yeah. You know, what you're talking about here is something that on the podcast I've called uh, just this idea of committed techniques, which is a way to say that in jujitsu, not every technique that you could do requires the same level of commitment. Some techniques are easier to back out of than others. And the reason I like the knee shield is because it's a very low commitment technique. If you try the knee shield guard and it's just not working, it's pretty easy to get back out of it and go to something else. Right. Whereas, and again, to keep picking on it, if you go to deep half guard, that's a right. very high commitment technique. If you go there and it works for you, that's great. But if it fails and now you get stuck down there, pinned to the ground, right. you are going to have a very hard time escaping. So we would consider deep half guard to be a much more higher commitment technique. And all things being equal in jujitsu, if you're given the choice between two different options and, you know, all other things are equal. Right. I would always want to choose the option that has less commitment from myself because if things don't go according to plan, it's easier to recover. That's part of the reason why so many judo throws do not translate very well to jujitsu right. because many of them are what we would call sacrifice throws, meaning right. you basically have to give up everything to try to get those throws. Now, in the realm of judo, that might be okay because the rule set gives you a lot of options to reset and get back up to your feet. Right. But in jujitsu, if you attempt a high commitment throw and you fail, you might have wound up in a situation where now you're on the bottom and you've given up your back, right? Or, so, or you hit the throw. So I remember some guy throwing the shit out of me all the time. And then he was like, you know, after they, they ip on you, they roll over you. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, okay, now I have the back. You can just keep going sometimes <laughs> yeah. too, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I can't tell you how many times, like, I mean, a really high level judoka would throw me and I would end up taking their back because we're playing jujitsu. So I give them all the credit for lifting and throwing me, but they gave their back and then I choked them out. And I think I won because we're playing my game. We're not playing your game. Yeah. You know, like I, I give you all the credit, you know, for Ippon, if that was, if that's what we were doing, but we're, we want, we aren't, we're, we're playing, you know, full Nuwaza, no Ippon, you know, and it's just dangerous, you know. And and when you're talking about deep half, I think people should understand that deep half, I don't believe it's meant for you to stay there. 
No, that's that's the worst case scenario. The yeah. idea is if you're playing deep half, you should be going in and out of it and you should really never yeah. be ceasing to move. You ideally yeah. want to kind of do it almost in one big rotation. If you get to the point where your opponent bases on you and then they're able to flatten you and pin both of your shoulders to the floor, right. that's the worst case scenario. That is not how it is intended to be played, but it can happen. Whereas from knee shield, for example, the worst case scenario is usually not as dire as deep half guard if something goes wrong. All right. Yeah, I mean, so whenever I'm going from my knee shield to deep half, I have three things I'm looking for immediately. I'm not looking for like the, to claim the position. Usually that's like a segue. It goes, I go to deep half and I'm immediately looking for my waiter sweep, right? Because my waiter sweep is going to get me into my X guard or there's some other funky guards that I have out there that, that I haven't really put out or some other positions that I really like, or I'm looking when I go to deep half, I'm usually looking to clear. Like it's almost, I try to make it like a signature where it never stops, where you never pick up your pin, you know? So I'm, when I enter into the X or the, the deep half, I'm going to put my hook behind the, the legs and come back, straighten their leg out and sit them in front of me to take their back. You know? So I'm like, anytime I'm, I go knee shield, the deep half, I'm always moving through the deep half. I'm never, like fully claiming deep half as a position that I'm going to work because it's so easily, it can go wrong so quickly. I mean, even with the guys that are, that are like, even if they don't flatten your hips, even if they just jump over your head, right? Like they just simply jump over your head. Now you're, if you're playing Nogi, now you're in the honey hole, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of those guys will, will jump over your head and immediately start playing honey hole there. So when I go to, Deep half, I usually use that as kind of like it's a very quick, you know, Euro train. I don't know what they call them, bullet bullet train to, to somewhere else. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's it is not a destination. It is a stop. You know, you should be passing yeah. right through it, but it is not the destination you yeah. want to get. It's a, to. It's, a good, it's a good place to go for you to get there. It, it off balances yeah. them for just enough time. They're sitting on you. They can't put any weight on you for that moment, and now it's time to go. You know, now it's time to make something happen out of there. <laughs> Amazing. Well, hey, I just want to quickly recap because I know we talked a lot about the knee shield, but the big control points here that we talked about in terms of the most important things, just let me know if I missed anything. Cool. Number one, you mentioned the importance of securing the bottom leg. So the ideal is you're using your bottom leg to hook around theirs, almost like a twister. And the reason you do it is because you're trying to bolt their leg onto the floor. You don't want them to be able to stand up because if they can do that, no more knee shield. Number two is you mentioned the knee shield itself, and the ideal angle is that your knee should be aligned with your opponent's same side pectoral. If your knee is too squished down, it makes it easy for them to do a smash pass on you. If your knee is too upright, it makes it easy for them to just go right through your guard. Number three, you mentioned that your hands should be defending against your opponent's lead arm because you don't want them to be able to grab your neck or your collar. Of course, if they can cross-face you and pin you onto the mat, then you have a big, big problem. And then number four, the last thing you brought up is that your bottom knee should never be covered by your opponent's knee. You don't want to make it too easy for them to basically staple you to the floor and change the angle. And additionally, when your opponent is moving towards a pass, you want to make sure that there's not much 
space, if any space, between your bottom knee and your bottom elbow. You want to keep that elbow knee connection so they can't easily secure a pass on you. Is that a good recap or was there anything else we wanted to add? Yeah, that's a fantastic recap. I think the biggest thing that I'm thinking about is understanding how to be go from flattened hat, like from being flattened, because that's a very dangerous place to be, is your opponent has an underhook, right? And your opponent has you flat, so he's controlling your neck. Concepts of how to kazushi, right? So I have something called the okidoke, which is like a kazushi, where it's going to make that that opponent that it's grabbing my neck and underhooking me to either be rolled, or they're going to have to take the arm off of the head. Mm-hmm. Once my opponent removes their, their arm off my head to post so they don't get rolled over, I'm then able to take my that underhook arm and turn that into those two frames. And then I'm able to scoop my hips out because now there's space for my hips and get my knee inside. And so I think that's one of the most important things to know is that like my job on top half is to flatten you out. That's my job. My job is to make you flat, uncomfortable, and me slide through, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably going to me slide. Your job is to have a very good understanding of how to undo the controls that I have. So if I have your neck and underhook, you're not going to be able to puddle an underhook back when you're flat on your back. So that's stupid. Don't do it. Just don't waste your time. Right? I'm going to have to, at some point, Kazushi make you to the open side to where your knee is open to make you open up and post to your free side, right? Because you're currently in control of my position and I want to move you off my position so you post elsewhere so there's movement of my hips and freedom of my arm to come in and start fighting the hand that was on my neck and then more freedom after that to start scooting my hip out so that I can now enter my knee shield. Right, right. So that's a huge thing I think that should be, that can't be ignored in the knee shield development is understanding how to continually get back to it from a flattened position because those are all the things that that guy has are all the things that knee shield is preventing. So right. if knee shield is preventing those things, you have to understand how to deal with those things when somebody does happen because that's exactly what they want. And if they're able to get those, that's what they're going to get from the shield up, up attacking your guard. So understanding how to how it works, and it doesn't work like other guards because usually when somebody has an underhook on you, you're done, right? The, the underhook is the underhook. But it's not necessarily true because in half guard, nobody truly has an underhook if I'm on my side. You can't underhook me if I turn my body to the side because but now both arms are facing forward or facing front of where my hips are. My hips are facing forward, facing your free arm and free leg. And the only time that 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 underhook works is when there's neck control. Right. Right. So that's a big thing that I would make sure that I would push to my students or any students at all is to understand that, like, man, if they have control of your neck, that's the first thing you ought to address. Mm -hmm. Right. Not the underhook, not you being flat, because without freedom of your mobility of your spine and neck, you're not going to be able to get onto your side. And if you're not able to get onto your side, you're not going to be able to play a shielded guard with frames. 
Right, right. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually love to do a whole conversation on that at some point because the whole half guard game almost entirely falls apart if you're getting pinned onto the ground. Right. And I think that it's harder to get out of that than we give it credit for. And I'd love at some point to explore that in detail, probably a topic for another day. I would ask though, Maliki, we've had a good conversation about the fundamental base of how the knee shield works and what the main concepts are. But as you mentioned earlier, there are myriad variations of what you can do from there, almost as if someone could make a whole instructional about that. And if someone <laughs> wanted to, to buy such an instructional, where would they go to pick that up? So I did a uh, instructional with Jiu-Jitsu X. They're putting out really, really aesthetic stuff, number one. So it's it's a pleasure to, to be on that and to see the aesthetics of, of how they do it. And they're, they're also working really well with instructors. And I went in there and I made sure that for the knee shield, I gave 90 techniques. And so they split it into part one and part two. They gave a part one was defensive defense and defensive traps, right? So that's basically somebody trying to stop you from having a knee shield and pass or beat it. And then the offensive side of it, which is the attacks that I can do once I start feeling comfortable and, and I'm moving, I'm actually more moving forward rather than, than being set, set up by them. And the funny thing is that I see these, the two, I get the dashboard and I can see how many people have bought part one and part two, right? A hundred percent of the people that bought part one have also bought part two. So that's a really good feeling. And I'm trying to explain to people like, man, that doesn't happen very often that, that all the people that have purchased that instructional series has found value in part one. And then to say, hey, I obviously want part two. Yeah. So 100% conversion is pretty good. 100%. 100%. That was, that's the coolest thing about it was seeing that and being like, this means this was good. I did a good job. Like, you know, I'm always a little bit critical and worried about, you know, like if I'm talking right, if I'm, you know, sometimes, like I said, I got brain fog and I'm, I'm not always, you know, like the easiest to, to explain things. Sometimes I'm in the zone. Sometimes I'm not, but. When I saw the 100% conversion from like people that purchase one immediately purchase two within the next like three to six days was is amazing because it just says like, yeah, those people valued my part one or part two so much that they said, yeah, I'm definitely going to get the other part series. So it's on Jiu-Jitsu X. It's, uh, I had a, a cool name for it. I, I said it's um, an instructional for people that can half guard good. So using a little bit of Zoolander. I'm always down for a little bit of Zoolander. Yeah. So I threw a little <laughs> bit of Zoolander in there and I wanted to make a whole like, I think it's the cool, cool cover this time where I was going to have, you know, the Zoolander thing. So that's what it's called. It's it's on Jiu-Jitsu X. If you go to Jiu-Jitsu X, they'll give you, I believe, six techniques from each series, um, from each parts. So you can check to see if that's something that you're interested in. The biggest thing I want to make sure is that I wasn't like everybody else. So on this, on this instructional, 100%, you're going to see things that have you've never seen before. Like that's something I'm big on. Like there's a certain number of things that people have seen, but I make sure that there's a, a good healthy dose because if, if you could just buy like one of these guys from BGJ fanatics domination half or whatever, you know what I mean? And, and I have basically the same stuff. And then like, and that's really something that works me about, about the instructional game itself is that we're so easily 
whatever name comes in or whatever somebody does, it's like they can just throw like just crap out the window and we'll, we'll be like, Oh man, I hope it's good. And it's not good. It's what everybody else has. It's the exact same thing. I made sure that this was not like a duplicate of anybody else's stuff that there wasn't just, I made sure that I went really deep and I made sure that I even that, that stuff that I'm like, I experiment with, or I have different ideas. I don't know if you saw the, my judo throw half guard technique. No, but I got to check this out. Check it out. It'll be from the, uh, Udageshi or something like that, but it's the, it's the jujitsu. It's a judo throw that all jujitsu guys use because it's like super flashy. And like, if you've ever done like throws for your, for your, for your belts, like, you know, if you get your black belt, you get thrown or brown belt, you get thrown. They're like almost every jujitsu guy uses this. And it's one of those techniques that I thought, well, can I use this in, in half guard? And sure as shit, it works awesome. It works amazing. And the fun, the cool thing about it is that the guy will, will be flipped over his head from half guard. So it's, you know, like I, I made sure that, that each time I put something out, I'm, I'm at least proud that it's an original, it's an original instructional. It's not something that's regurgitated with a different big name on it, you know, and they just take six hours to explain like 12 techniques. There's 12 techniques in, in four DVDs. And these guys are talking forever and saying the same thing over and over and over again. I really can't stand money spent on that kind of thing, you know? So it's, it was one of those things that if I was going to be on a platform, and that was and a jiu-jitsu X platform, and I was going to be saying that this is a knee shield guard. I was going to make sure that it was up there with the ranks of, of Titans. So if there's anybody with a knee shield, knee shield guard, I mean, I, I think they have Jake McKenzie. I haven't looked at his stuff lately, but Jake McKenzie's a half guard god. So like you know, like I wanted to make sure that my mine was up there. You know that it was among those that are super innovative, that are super talented and they put a lot into their instructionals not just their the name value you know right yeah and for everyone who's interested i'll just throw a link to that right into the show notes here so just pop open your podcast player check out the show notes and there should be a link you can just tap if you want to go and grab that instructional so thanks a lot maliki i really appreciate that and of course for anyone out there who wants to support our stuff you can go to premium.bjjmentalmodels.com that's the best way to extend your involvement with bjj mental models there's a ton of awesome content on our premium service over 50 hours of audio master classes with people who are frankly far smarter than me in the jiu-jitsu community. Uh, we try to go beyond the show and structure things into a, a way that's much more course-like. Um, the feedback for that has been super positive, which is fantastic. And if you're a member, you also get access to things like our rolling review services and our awesome, amazing Discord community. So again, there's a free trial. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't already. Premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. And I also appreciate you coming by and talking knee shield with me. It's like you said, probably Probably a fundamental that most people don't consider a fundamental, but they realistically, they should. It should be something that everyone learns because it is so versatile and so useful. Yeah. I wish I could beat that over the head of people. You know, people are going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> but but if I could force you to buy my DVD, you would have a fucking amazing knee shield guard. <laughs> you would have an amazing knee shield guard. You would look so good on the mat. Yeah. Well, there's only one way for people to find out. So again, check yeah. that link in the, in the show notes, but thanks a lot, Maliki. I greatly appreciated this chat. I thought this was a fun one.
Oh, thank you so much. Next time we can we can go crazy. We can talk about <laughs> weird, we can talk about weird stuff. <laughs> well, we already talked about using a grenade to pass someone's guard, so that's we kind did. of a new one for the podcast. I always want something to be weird. Make something <laughs> weird. Awesome. And so, and of course, to everyone out there who listens to us, thanks as well to you as well. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.